Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. Today's episode is all about chemicals in the environment and environmental toxins and their role in autoimmunity and what has really changed over the last 150 years and how you may be able to take measures to reduce your toxin exposure, specifically around autoimmunity. But let's face it, the over 87 to 90,000 chemicals we've added to our environment since industrialization are toxic. And in many ways, they not only disrupt our endocrine system and our body, but they also disrupt our immune system. And they are some of the leading cause of chronic illness and disease. And specifically today, we're going to jump into the autoimmune connection. Welcome back to This Functional Life. As promised, we are going to go into another one of the triggers of autoimmunity and specifically the chemicals in our environment, environmental pollutants, uh, the toxins within our food supply, and just the overall toxicity and its specific role in the immune system just to kind of give a little bit of background, we already identified that one in 10 Americans um, is expected to have an autoimmune disorder. And, you know, when we look at those numbers, the American Heart Association, just so we can make a comparison here, that only one in 20 Americans will end up with coronary artery disease or heart disease. When we look at autoimmunity, it is a greater epidemic today than just cardiovascular disease, which gets billions of dollars every year and is heavily funded. So when we look at it, the NIH has expanded funding for autoimmunity. You know, looking at, uh, you know, back in 2003, it was about 591 million, but that's still only a fraction of what we spend on heart disease and cancer. And the truth is, is if we look, you know, NIH uh, budget is over $5 billion, 10 times what we spend on autoimmune diseases and cardiovascular disease. While it does result in one in two deaths in the United States, autoimmune conditions are the most chronic conditions that affect younger individuals and lead to early mortality. So it is alarming, alarming at an extensive rate. What we know now is that autoimmunity is a coupling of the environmental exposures coupled together with some genetic susceptibility. And those environmental exposures go from everything to the microbes in our gut and potential pathogens to foods, to toxins, to stress. So environment in that greater context could be lots of different things. But let's look right now at what we do know. So a 2003 study, which was on Americans, looked at 210 substances in the urine. These things included things like pollutants, PCBs, insecticides, dioxins, mercury, cadmium, benzenes. The volunteers who had not worked in high-risk areas, so they weren't people that worked with chemicals, had an overall detectable level of 91 of these. So in other words, ordinary people had 
numerous toxins within their within their body that were getting excreted on a regular basis. In a 2005 study, researchers also found 287 industrial chemicals, including pesticides, phthalates, dioxins, flame retardants, and breakdown chemicals of Teflon in the fetal cord blood of 10 newborn infants that was transferred basically from the mom's placenta into the infant's. So we have a ever-increasing exposure to environmental toxins and toxins, and it's clear that this increased exposure is causing an increase in autoimmunity. And here's some of the things that point to this. Studies looking at clusters of autoimmunity, meaning they were looking at clusters of things like the onset of lupus. And what they found was that they were higher clustering of onset of this disease, particularly in younger female, mostly female population around Superfund sites. So Superfund sites are where industrial chemicals have been dumped. And unfortunately, in many cases in the United States, they just, you know, concreted over it, made it a playground, and people started living in those areas. And so those Superfund sites are sites where we have tried and should continue to try to do environmental cleanup. And when they looked at the incidence of lupus, they found that there is a higher propensity relative to the rest of the population in other areas of onset of disease. So chemical exposures absolutely have correlation to the onset of autoimmune conditions. And we, when we look at these in comparison to animal studies, we see that the same thing happens to be true. If we look at these compounds, we can only understand a small part of it because there's only, you know, probably slightly more than this now, but there's only about five to 6% of the entire NIH budget for this minuscule budget for autoimmunity that's actually dedicated to looking at these environmental factors that underlie autoimmunity. And we know that overall, the EPA is being dismantled and other oversight groups are being dismantled very quickly in the name of money and business that is going to leave this to be at a much greater incidence. The future holds opportunity for us to test this, but the truth is we need personal responsibility, political action, and corporate accountability because there's no incentive today for corporations to make sure that they're not pouring terrible chemicals into our, into our environment that may very well be making us sick. So let's look at another statistic. I just want to hit this home. So a recent epidemiological systemic review event identified a 19.1% net percent increase year over year incidence of the prevalence of autoimmune disease in the past 30 years. So these environmental factors are definitely amplifying. And I can tell you, and I've said it in the earlier part of these series, when I started uh, Living Well Dallas back in 2006, I definitely saw people with autoimmune conditions. That was my own experience. But just the sheer volume and the, the number of autoimmune conditions per person is amplifying so very, very much. And so this increased susceptibility, this increased increasing problem is something that is going to be a, a problem long-term if we don't find answers. So what toxins are we talking about? Let's, we're going to talk really about the stuff that's in our environment. So things that is in the soil, the water, the air. So these are persistent organic pollutants, toxic heavy metals, solvents, endocrine disruptors, heavy metals such as mercury, aluminum, dioxin, asbestos, trichloroethylene and other environmental chemicals. And these chemicals do a couple different things in our body. 
They induce oxidative stress. So they basically create a rusting capacity in the body. So oxidation is rusting. So if I took a piece of iron and put it outside and exposed it to oxygen and water, just the exposure to oxygen and water would make it rust. In our body, we are subject to oxidative stress. And some of us have a greater response to oxidative stress depending on our genetics. And what that means is if my antioxidant capacity is low or I have much more pollutants going into the body that increase that oxidative stress, my body cannot recover that. And these toxic chemicals do cause oxidative stress. They also cause T-cell regulation, which are heavily involved in autoimmune conditions. And I'm going to talk about those a little bit today. And they alter the immune cell messenger system. And so all of these things are problematic. So where do we find persistent organic pollutants? This is things like DDT, chloridane, dioxins. We find these things in food, water, air, soil, heavily represented in flame retardants. And oh, common exposures would be breast milk because we actually pass it through our breast milk to our baby if we are feeding. There are things like toxic solvents, acetone, methanol, benzenes, Tricolorethylene, xylene, we find these in paint, lacquer, glue, cleaning supplies, degreasers, paint strippers, synthetic rubber. I can tell you these toxic solvents, even just being in the presence of them, if any real length of time will cause full body hives for me. I found that out after remodeling a house a little over 20 years ago now where my husband and I actually stripped the cabinets because they had beautiful wood. So we did those manually by hand with a bunch of these toxic um, ingredients. And it was actually probably closer to about 24 years ago now. And I didn't know any better. And I did wear gloves, but I was breathing this. And after that, I broke out in this full body rash and it took forever to go away. And then from that moment forward, if I was in an environment where painting was getting done, like let's say a house was getting painted, I would have the same triggering response. So these toxic solvents not only cause difficulty breathing and coughing and headaches and things like that, but they actually uh, cause disruption to the immune system. Toxic heavy metals, mercury, lead, cadmium, arsenic. We find that obviously in our food, our water, dental amalgams, cosmetics, heavy representation in cosmetics, particularly cosmetics from non-organic producers. And then the major endocrine disruptors, and we've talked a little bit about endocrine disruptors before, but they disrupt our hormones, specifically things like estrogen, but they can disrupt the entire hormone pathway. These are things like bisphenols, dioxins, phthalates, perchlorates, and we can find those in plastic products, herbicides, pesticides, water, food, lining of cans, coating of paper plates, all over the place. When we look at the autoimmune connection, obviously there's a genetic susceptibility, but there are people with autoimmune conditions that don't have a direct association. So it's not a one-to-one relationship. Like you must have this one single gene to have this one autoimmune condition. The strongest associations found to autoimmune susceptibility, particularly related to environmental chemicals, involve the HLA alleles, which are the human leukocyte antigens, and the cytokine IL-23R cytokine receptors. And changes or mutations on those genes make us less capable of managing the immune response because that's what the HLA genes do. And then the IL genes, the interleukins, actually respond with cytokines. So it's, again, not a single gene, but it's a combination of these mutations that increase our susceptibility to environmental triggers. 
So let's talk about what mechanism is happening here, because this is this is where the rubber hits the road. So environmental chemicals have the ability to impact the mechanism of managing your DNA. It's called histone modification of RNA gene expression and DNA methylation. So that's a mouthful. And most of you've heard methylation before, I would bet, or you've heard about the MTHFR gene. So I'm going to try and explain this in a very simple terms. So think of your DNA as a set of light switches. So we have a little over 22,000 light switches in our body. And those light switches, some are turned on and some are turned off. And some of those express things like the color of your eyes, the color of your hair, how tall you're going to be. And then some of them express how our immune system is going to function, how we're going to respond in inflammation or how we make enzymes or proteins and how the body keeps those light switches in check or set to where they're supposed to be set is either through the modification of histones or the methylation of the DNA. So think of those two things, histone modification and methylation of DNA, as putting tape over the light switch to hold it in place. So to give you an analogy, my grandmother had this old heater in her bathroom, one of those ones that you knew would burn the house down. She never wanted to modify and take it out, but she didn't want anybody to turn it on. So she had put this big kind of piece of masking tape over it to keep us from flipping the switch. So this is essentially the same way that the body manages the ability to keep that DNA in check and to keep something turned on or turned off. So the role of epigenetic expression is where these environmental things, everything from your diet, what you come in contact with and other things may modulate the level of tape on that switch. So environmentally triggered epigenetic expression goes through lots of different pathways. Like I said, so if I have a lot of environmental chemicals coming in contact, what's going to happen is it's going to modify how our T cells differentiate, which are going to then lead us more to a autoimmune expression. Environmental chemicals interfere with things called DNA methyl group and methyl group transfer. So methylation requires things like folate, uh, methylfolate and B12, B2 and B6. And so environmental chemicals interrupt and intervene in the utilization of those nutrients and in some cases may even deplete them. And so it may affect the expression of your DNA or the turning on or turning off of that light switch. Those chemicals make it worse than if you add a standard American diet that's devoid of nutrients like your B vitamins, you're going to be more at risk. When we look at these, uh, these chemicals, they will actually increase, increase the likelihood of changes in our DNA. We also know that polymorphisms or these changes on these genes, so some of us may have mutations on these genes that make us more susceptible, can also leave us at bigger triggers because the immunological pathways, so the combination of genes that control our immune system are more susceptible to what they call genetic drift, which is small changes and differences in the expression of those genes due to all of these impacts like the environmental chemicals. And that ultimately leads to the dysregulation of the immune system and autoimmunity. So chemicals can also deplete antioxidants, especially glutathione. So we talked about oxidative stress and our antioxidants, specifically glutathione and um, SOD and catalase, superoxide dismutases, SOD, are, are in our body to reduce oxidative stress and toxins deplete antioxidant activity. And so we see that, especially in things like lupus, 
And so if I have just mild depletion of glutathione inside the cell, this has a profound effect on immune modulation and lymphocyte function because glutathione is essential for proper T cell regulatory function. So we have T cells that regulate either inflammatory response, we have anti-inflammatory helper T cells, and we also have T cells that um, contribute to antigen presenting responses. So they play a role in identifying um, incoming pathogens and also um, helping out an inflammatory response or reducing an inflammatory response. So when we look at glutathione, we know that it can be depleted in things like rheumatic diseases, lupus, and other environmental things that are chemicals that we often do will deplete it as well, like drinking alcohol. That's why alcohol has a high, high alcohol intake isn't going to increase your autoimmune condition risk because it depletes liver levels of glutathione, which ultimately is going to affect the cellular levels of glutathione. And when we have persistent organic pollutants that are um, depleting glutathione, what we start to see is we'll see mitochondrial dysfunction. So the powerhouses inside the cell start to dysfunction and we see a greater amount of immune activation. So it doesn't require large amounts of things, but it does especially add up over time. So those depleting uh, chemicals to your antioxidant capacity is going to contribute to autoimmunity and, and basically really all other disease states. Autoimmune regulatory proteins are also uh, essential for regulation of T cells and, and also eliminating autoreactive T cells. So they modulate our immune tolerance to things. So chemicals cause a dysfunction of these autoimmune regulatory proteins. And that leads to a greater potential expression of autoimmune diseases. So that's another way. So it basically, these uh, chemical disruptors disrupt that autoimmune regulatory protein, and then it, it disrupts the immune central uh, immune tolerance to the environment and the overall body. And then it starts to turn on self. We also have chemicals that bind to our serum albumin. So environmental chemicals can bind to circulating proteins and actually change the structure of these proteins, inducing misfolding and configuration. And then we can get a humoral response that is generated against these proteins and we form a basically circulating antibodies. So when we see this, we can see changes to chemical binding and albumin which has a high correlation with myelin basic proteins, which um, has been found in things like MS. So chemical binding to albumin is strongly and significantly increased risk for alpha-synuclein autoantibody formation and, and myelin-based protein activity. So all of that chemical binding is going to increase that risk. And we can also have chemicals that cause protein modifications within the body. So we have proteins that undergo modification by phase one and phase two liver detoxification. And these are the processes that are mostly involved in phase two, uh, known as things like glucuronidation, sulfation, and acetylation. Modifications occur in 50 to 90% of the proteins in the human body. So these, so we have a lot of proteins that are getting modified and when we have environmental chemicals, they have the ability to modify and promote basically immunoregulatory activities against self against proteins. So these protein modifications play a role in changes in 
autoimmune activity, particularly found with like multiple sclerosis and rheumatoid arthritis. So that post-modification of chemicals through glycosylation, phosphorylation, and lipidation is going to cause damage to those proteins and going to cause an immune stimulatory effect to the immune system to those actual proteins. Chemicals also bind to nucleic acid. Nucleic acids are responsible for conveying information from our DNA to our RNA. Chemicals and drugs possess this potential to bind to that DNA and, and the small um, nuclear ribonucleic proteins and chromatin and lead to the production of autoantibodies. This is found in things like drug-induced lupus disorder. Um, chemicals um, have not only been found to flare up autoimmunity, but they are also have the, the potential to develop autoimmunity. Um, so, and this is particularly uh, been seen in lupus with higher CD4 T cell activity towards um, genetic expression. These triggers, uh, at least the ones that have been studied, are things like mercury, cigarette smoke, silica, appear to bind to disrupt nucleic acid communication. So they affect basically the DNA talking to the RNA and they create a role in the autoimmune reactivity. Chemicals also act as, de- uh, as endocrine disruptors, as I said before. They have the ability to bind to endocrine receptors, which they compete then against the normal hormones of the bodies, right? So things like PCBs and um, DDT, bisphenol A, they can bind to the body's receptors, particularly receptors for estrogens, and disrupt the actual activity. So endocrine disrupting chemicals have been found to alter the immunological pathways as well. So it's not only that it changes your estrogenic activity and how your body manages those hormonal sensitive tissues, but it actually is involved in the autoimmune reactivities. They can also um, exert powerful effects on pituitary cells and promote things like increased prolactin release. And prolactin, if it's released at high levels, will actually suppress other hormones like follicular stimulating hormones and luteinizing hormones, which affect the availability of progesterone, testosterone, and estrogen in both men and women. So we can really see that that's going to play a bigger role. And if you look at the research, increased prolactin levels have been found in Hashimoto's, lupus, type 1 diabetes, and many other autoimmune conditions. So when those endocrine disrupting chemicals bind to things like estrogen, they also up Um, promote the upregulation of dendritic cells, which are those immune presenting cells and those immune feeling cells that are looking for toxins and other things. And what that does is induce changes in B cells and T cells, and which basically promote abnormal immune signaling and cause more immune dysregulation. So chemicals can also change regulatory T cell function. So regulatory T cells, also known as Tregs, are essential to maintain immunological tolerance. So they help the body kind of figure out, is this something I'm tolerant to? Yes or no. And more circulating regulatory um, T cells actually avoid the, the onset or the creation of autoimmune conditions. So there's a lot of environmental chemicals that have been shown to activate um, some of the uh, uh, receptors that can pl- that can promote dysregulation of T cells. One of those is the peroxisome proliferator activated receptor gamma, otherwise known as PPAR gamma. And if when that receptor has been activated, it promotes 
dysregulation of T cells. When we disrupt T cell function by environmental chemical exposure, what it does is it increases cytotoxic C cell, C, uh, sorry, T cell response. And so that basically means the T cell that responds to toxicity and causes an inflammatory response amplifies. T regulatory cells downgrade. And then we have this mechanism that's now kicking up that involves exaggerated antigen presentation response. So you remember me talking about the doorman with food that's looking around and going, do I see this protein that I've now identified as foreign, like glutenogliadin? Do I see it anywhere? Well, when this happens and we get dysregulation of that regulatory T cell function and an increase in cytotoxic T cell function, what essentially has happened is we have a doorman that has now been replicated a thousand times. It's kind of like the matrix when the bad guy in the matrix all of a sudden um, starts uh, multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. We have this propagation of these these doormen looking for problems. And guess what's going to happen? They're going to find it. And this mechanism may promote autoimmune disease. We also have chemicals that directly affect our dendritic cells, which are basically the gatekeeper involved in connecting our adaptive and innate immune system. So the adaptive, the um, antibody response and the innate, which is our immune system response um, to incoming pathogens. And it really modulates the immune tolerance. So if we have dysregulation of those intestinal dendritic cells, um, we know, because that was, you know, uh, Episode number one, that intestinal permeability, dysregulation of dendritic cells, and the um, expression of immune response in these small intestines is going to be part of the pathogenesis of autoimmunity. Exposure to environmental toxins can alter the receptor on dendritic cells, leading to a disruption of immune tolerance. So um, one of the pathways that they look at, look at is the FOXP threat pathway that regulates T cells. And so essentially it's part of this mechanism that may be playing a role in all of a sudden these cells, these dendritic cells turning on messengers to foods, to other toxins, to other things, to body parts. And so dysfunction of this immunological pathway will lead to a more aggressive autoimmune response and the promotion of autoimmunity. And then we have the chemicals that disrupt the permeability of immune barriers. So we have immune barriers all over the body, right? So our skin's an immune barrier, our intestines are an immune barrier, blocking basically the inside of the body to the things that we are ingesting and eating. And so this is a key factor in developing autoimmune disease. So when we look at the intestines, we know that there's tight junctions between those cells. So we basically have a cell sitting next to a cell and the epithelium in the intestines. And we have two ways in which things can get through the, that juncture. There is a um, two sticky proteins called occludin and clodulin that stick those two cells together. And so some of that can cause disruption where the opening between those cells open up and allow basically the exposure of the immune system to the toxin or the food. And we can also have immune dis, um, dysregulation that causes damage to the intestines in things like celiac and other things, or even proton pump inhibitors or excessive intake of NSAIDs that can cause damage to the tissue itself. And then we're going to have a greater immune response. So when we have this relationship, it's really this relationship between the exposure to our, our um, immune system and the intestines 
and the tissue, um, actually it's lymphatic lymphoid tissue in the intestinal um, epithelial barrier known as the gut associated lymphoid tissue. You may have also heard of it as the GALT. And so when that that barrier gets broken down, it's going to have a significant role in breakdown of tolerance and then immune reaction. So chemical exposures also cause uh, the gastrointestinal microbiome to induce dysbiosis, right? So if I have bacterial changes to toxins, we're going to see things like a reduction in occludin, right? So that protein gets broken down in between the cells, between the intestines, which increases intestinal permeability. And then we're going to have toxins from our bacteria, like lipopolysaccharides, um, from gram-negative bacteria and the other toxins getting out into that galt, lymph- the lymphoid tissue in the intestines. And that's going to lead to systemic inflammation in the intestines and throughout the body. And this is well documented. So when people say intestinal permeability does not exist, they just need to go to PubMed and then Google it and put any disease behind it. It plays a role in all diseases, but particularly autoimmune condition. So when that intestinal barrier breaks down, chemicals cause disruption to that pathway, and it can cause it to other immune borders like the blood-brain barrier, the pulmonary um, endothelial barrier, which is basically your lungs, and all kinds of chemicals can do that. And at the same time, we have a reduction in those antioxidants like superoxide dismutase and glutathione and catalase. And that can even cause inflammation in the microvessels, right? So your blood vessels all over the body and especially in the blood brain barrier. So what toxins can do that? We have things like cigarette smoke and other um, your other toxicants, cadmium, heavy metals, all can do that. So when we look at autoimmune and toxicity, the close to 90,000 chemicals we have added to our environment, many of which have have even been banned. So things like DDT have been banned, but the problem is, is they're persistent in our environment, and they, which means that they are in the soil, in the water, and we cannot get away from them. And then when you add them to the pesticides, herbicides, phthalates, flame retardants, we have this compounding effect. The challenge is, is nobody has done really extensive studies on the compound effect of all of those toxins together. Maybe in isolation, one of those at the levels found in the soil and the water may not be toxic. But when we layer them on each other, we see this overall um, milieu of toxicity that is greater than our bodies were ever designed to deal with. And when you add that to the changes in our food supply and the chemicals added to that and the food processing and the flavor enhancements and all the other things that are chemicalized in our environment, this has led to a overall chemical burden that increases our likelihood for autoimmunity. And I believe it really is the food toxicants and the environmental toxicants that are a heavy driver of the epigenetic risk to those that have the genetic risk for autoimmunity, which is a significant part of the population. And so what, you know, what do we do with all of this, right? So let me see if I can summarize this, you know, toxic chemicals possess all these problems. So we have to figure out how to get well in an environment that very well may be making us sick. You know, so the first thing I always think about is what's the easy low-hanging fruit, right? We have to look at what, what exposures do we have the most of and where can I make the changes without radical lifestyle change to begin with? Because otherwise it feels overwhelming and you just kind of want to throw your hands up and say, forget it. So the first way to do that 
is to go, okay, if I'm trying to reduce my chemical load, I'm going to buy organic, right? So I'm going to buy my fruits and vegetables organic. I'm going to buy my dairy. If I eat dairy, we talked a little bit about food sensitivities, you know, dairy, maybe yes, maybe no, but you know, if I'm eating particularly animal proteins and dairy that have a lot of fat, most of our toxins are fat loving, lipophilic. So what that means is they like to hang out in fat tissues. So milk from breast milk obviously showed to have a lot of toxins in it. So milk from cows eating um, corn and other grains and grasses that have been sprayed with these chemicals or sprayed with, oh, I don't know, Roundup, um, are going to have extraordinary amounts of these toxins within the fatty tissue and also the milk because the milk has milk fat. And going low fat isn't going to help you because they aren't stripping the toxins out with the fat. So where you can go organic. And if you're looking for foods, the um, Environmental Working Group always has their Clean 15 and their um, Dirty Dozen. That's always good to look at because they basically test every year for the biggest toxin load and the most common fruits and vegetables. The other thing to think about is, especially depending on your genetics. So if you've listened to the um, genetic history, uh, when I went through my lab test with Kashif Khan from DNA Company, I carry a high risk because I don't make glutathione very well. And I don't make SOD very well for oxidative stress and for toxin overload. So it also means that I want to be aware of, even if I'm eating something organic, I want to make sure that maybe the place I got it from, you know, used cleaning chemicals and other things on their processing of their, you know, mechanics that aren't toxic, right? So it may mean, you know, trying to Think about eating foods more naturally, less processed foods, even if they look healthy, like nut bars, because you don't know what happened to them. You know, so cleaning up your food, cleaning up your food storage. So getting rid of plastics and using um, using uh, plastic water bottles and throw away food storage. We've gone years and years and years ago to glass and stainless steel, and it's also good for the environment, right? But we want to reduce that overall exposure to the toxins within plastics because those are problematic. And your cookware, okay? Getting rid of, you know, nonstick pans that have things like Teflon on it because that stuff is absolutely toxic and massive endocrine disrupting. Um, you can also look at your water. So I don't love bottled water, right? Because what are we putting in in a plastic bottle? And then it's being shipped hot. So guess what? You're going to be eating those toxins anyway. And most of the water commercially available is just tap water from another city that's been slightly filtered so you don't taste it. But it's the same crap as what's in your sink. So doing filtration. And if you want to go all the way, actually do distillation because distillation will remove those other toxins that your reverse osmosis can't get. And unfortunately, a lot of your filtration systems can grow molds and other things. So we might be replacing one toxin for another toxin. So if you want to go all the way, distill your water and you can add additional minerals because yes, distillation will remove some of your minerals from your water, but you're not getting a really high level of quality minerals from your tap water anyway. Um, so those things are big. Then the next thing is, is look at the cleaning supplies and the body care products you use. You can go to things like, and I'm not making any money off of them, but like um, Mrs. Meyer's products and your method products that are less toxic, you know, that don't contain all these smell good phthalates and things like that. Um, clothing, washing um, liquids and stuff like that. Those things are super toxic and they smell great because they stick to your clothes because of the, of the, the binding of phthalates to the clothing, which then permeates your skin and then circulates around your body. So 
just doing those things, just slowly eking away weeks over months to start removing a lot of those things, start to remove your overall load. Then you can look at, you know, pesticides, herbicides, how you care for your lawn, and then looking at the environment in which you live in. You know, so it doesn't necessarily require you to spend a lot more money. Yes, sometimes um, your more organic cleaning supplies and food may be a little bit more expensive. You could also become uh, somebody that produces your own food or go to farmer's markets where we have organic um, foods available or even a community-sponsored agriculture, a CSA, where you help support local farmers that are producing food in a safe way. That not only helps your local economy, but it also helps you reduce your toxin load. Um, but the truth is, is these toxins do exist and you can't really get away from them. And ultimately, our goal should be to reduce the overall chemical load within our environment and do the right thing, because it may very well be one of the things that will be the defining factor on whether humans will be here 100,000 years from now or not. Because again, if we look at the epidemic of autoimmunity, it is outpacing heart disease, which is the number one leading cause of death in, in the population. But autoimmune condition is the number one um, chronic disease that causes um, mortality and morbidity young. So I hope you found this really, really valuable and I hope you don't feel overwhelmed because the truth is I truly believe that knowledge is power. And when we become knowledgeable, we can take action, right? You can't take action if you don't know. And when we become knowledgeable, we can also become actionable in a larger population. So if this frustrates you and makes you angry, it's time to vote with your dollars, vote with your vote. And get active if you really want to get active and see if we can help reduce these chemicals in our environment, especially if you have children and grandchildren, right? You know, we may not live long enough to see the, the massive destruction of our environment, but our children and our children's children may very well be because we know that um, we are on a downward trajectory. So we are now empowered to make different choices and to affect our environment. I hope you found this very valuable and I hope you share it with a friend and, and, you know, give me a thumbs up. If you really find my podcast uh, good to listen to and you enjoy it, give me some thumbs up and, and give me some stars or some feedback on my review. It really is the way people find podcasts. And so um, I, I would love it and have your feedback and I'd love to hear what you thought. Thank you so much for tuning into this functional life. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD. And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.